We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in the LakersNation.com podcast. I am Trevor Lane. You can find me over on X at Trevor underscore Lane on Instagram and threads at Trevor Lane NBA. Welcome to the show. Those of you coming in from the YouTube channel, make sure you guys check out that join button. You can see the perks that we offer for channel members, including live shows that let you guys come on the stage. That's a lot of fun. And then podcast listeners appreciate all of you coming in as well from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, you wouldn't mind. Give us that rating and review over on your preferred platform. Got a lot to talk about today. We've got some trade rumors to get into. DeJounte Murray, potentially another target on the Lakers list. I want to talk about what would make sense in a Murray trade as well as what wouldn't. I uh, also want to talk a little bit about this Lakers rotation and some big, big problems that I've gotten with it and problems that I think it's going to present. And we need to get into the mailbag as well. But let's kick things off because, well, tis the season. Let's get into trade talk first and foremost. Um, by the way, I hope all of you had a very Merry Christmas. Uh, unfortunately, the Lakers gave us that lump of coal uh, against the Celtics, but uh, I hope you guys did enjoy your Christmas day, had a good time with friends and family and all of that. And now we're getting ready for 2024. I can't believe it is right around the corner. Here we go. But Let's get into this. DeJounte Murray. We know February 8th is the trade deadline, and trade rumors are only going to pick up between now and then. They're only going to grow more frequent. We're going to be hearing them around the league. It's going to happen. A lot of executives are going to start really digging in on what it is their team needs. And so now we've got a new rumor from Shams Tarania linking the Lakers to Hawks guard DeJounte Murray. Let me tell you, I like this target. I like this target. I don't think DeJounte Murray is a perfect fit for the Lakers. But I think you could argue that he is maybe a better fit than Zach Levine is. And I do think that contractually, there's no question. DeJounte Murray is a much better contract than Zach Levine's. So first, let me let me start there. Before we get to the on-court stuff, what does a trade for DeJounte Murray even look like? So the Hawks traded for DeJounte Murray uh, a couple of seasons ago, and they gave up a lot to get him. And that could be a little bit problematic in and of itself because the Hawks gave up multiple first-round picks, a pick swap, all this stuff to the Spurs in order to get to Jonte Murray. The Lakers, the most they could offer right now is one first-round pick. That's it. Now we can talk pick swaps. Maybe they can you know, plus up an offer there. But as much as, and I'll show you guys what I'm talking about here, the YouTube viewers, I'm going to put the 
salary sheet here up on the screen, but DeJounte Murray, 18.2 million this season. Boy, that sounds nice, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't that's considering we've been talking about, well, how many salaries do you have to stack up to get to Zach Levine? 18.2 million. That's easy. That's easy to get there, right? That's D'Lo, Rui, either of them. All right, you're good. Cool. Getting getting to this number, it's not a problem. And look, getting to Zach Levine's number isn't a, a major hurdle either, but this is a much easier number to work with. After that, though, he does have an extension that kicks in, and DeJounte Murray has a four-year deal after this year's. Okay? So next season, $25.5 million. Season after that, $27.5 million. After that, $29.5 million. After that, player option, $31.5 million. Now, again, remember, Zach Levine only has three years left on his contract after this, the final year player option, just like DeJounte Murray's deal. But the final year of Zach Levine's deal is going to pay him $50 million. So not only is this contract much friendlier in terms of getting a deal done right now, the make just making the math work, but it also means you're going to have more flexibility into the future as well because this contract is so much less than Zach Levine's contract. And then on the floor, look, Murray has been very, very good. In fact, when he's been the point guard, he's been a net positive for the Hawks. The problem is the Hawks also have Trey Young. They had this idea that, we're going to combine DeJounte Murray and Trey Young, and they're going to be great in this backcourt together. Eh, hasn't really worked out so great. So maybe the Hawks do move on from DeJounte Murray, but what do they want? What do they want from the Lakers? Because we can say, okay, D'Angelo Russell, the math works. Great. Build a trade around D'Angelo Russell. Well, obviously the Hawks aren't doing Russell for, for Murray straight up. Clearly, that's not happening. So what else do you have to add? Well, the Lakers have one first-round pick. Is that enough? They just gave up a ton of picks. Do the Hawks even value D'Lo? Do the Hawks, if they were to get D'Lo, would they want to play him with Trey Young? I probably wouldn't. But would they? And then even if they did, would they be getting D'Angelo Russell, hoping he opts out of his contract this summer and he's an expiring deal and they clear that off the books? Or would they be hoping that he picks up his option this summer? What you know, There's that uncertainty. Or even if you go with Rui, is Rui Hachimura a guy that they want to add into their mix or not? It's an eye of the, the beholder type thing. So then you're talking about what else can you add? Well, we know what's going to happen. We know exactly where this is going to go. Exactly. The Hawks are going to say, and I'm not saying this would be a done deal from the Hawks side. The Hawks are going to say, give us Austin Reeves. That's what's going to happen. I can tell you 100%. That's what's going to happen. And that's what's going to happen with every team. Every team the Lakers contact is going to say, let's talk Austin Reeves. He's got a great contract. He's a good young player. Teams are going to want him. So that brings me to this question, Lakers Nation. And I'm curious what you guys think in the comments. Who's the worst player that you'd be willing to put Austin Reeves in a deal for? And worst player sounds so negative because we're talking about high-level players. But where do you draw the line? Because, I mean, look, Austin, obviously, there's news out there that the Lakers will not put Austin Reeves in any deal. But let's face it, if the Bucs called up and say, hey, um, we're getting tired of Giannis. He's dunking on too many people. Our rims can't take it anymore. Um, we need to get him off this team. I, you, you guys can have him. 
but we need Austin Reeves to be in the deal. It's not like the Lakers are going to say no, right? Obviously, that's you know an extreme, but but where would you draw the line at? Like, for example, let's say the Knicks called up and said, Jalen Brunson, we're willing to send him to you, but Austin's got to be in the deal. Are you okay with that? Are you willing to to do something like that? What if you, what if it's say Dejounte Murray? Are you willing to include Austin in that deal? Where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line for Austin Reeves? Because there's certain players the Wolves call up and say Anthony Edwards. Oh <laughs> yeah, okay, sure, no problem, right? Because you'd be crazy to turn that down. But there's also players out there that you probably wouldn't want to include him for. What if the Blazers say, hey, uh, let's talk Jeremy Grant trades, but we need Austin Reeves in the deal. Nah, I'm not taking on that contract plus putting Austin in. No, thanks. Right? So where do you draw the line? Would you be willing to put Austin Reeves into a DeJounte Murray trade? Personally, I don't, I don't think I would do it if I'm the Lakers. I wouldn't put it in Austin. But, but that's me. I'd also, though, be trying to figure out other ways to get this done. Because I do think that DeJounte Murray is a very good player. I think he would help with this Lakers team in a lot of ways. So then what else could the Lakers add? Well, then we're talking about Jalen hood Shafino. I wish he'd been playing well this season and playing more, but he's had injuries and he's not played well when he's been on the floor. So I don't know if the Hawks still value him as a first-round pick or not. That will be another eye of the beholder thing. Other young guys, Max Christie, Max Lewis, that's kind of what you got in terms of young players. So there's nothing that necessarily jumps out at me that says this is a clear path to a trade, even though the math can be made to work very easily. Value-wise, and a lot of this will depend on what are the Hawks' goals if they're going to move DeJounte Murray, what is it they're trying to get to? What are they trying to receive? And maybe it becomes a three-team trade, four-team trade, something like that. But there's nothing obvious that jumps out where you go, oh, well, clearly the Hawks are looking for this, and this is exactly what the Lakers have. And there you go. We're off and running. Um, as far as on the court, DeJounte Murray is an interesting fit with the Lakers. Now, he's young, 27 years old. That fits in very well with the Lakers timeline right now. They're, they're young core of players. You talk about Jared Vanderbilt, D'Angelo Russell, if he's not in a trade, Rui Hachimura, all of the Austin Reeves, all these guys, they're all in their mid-20s. Great. Fits in there. Check that box. Uh, he's a guard. Super long wingspan, so he can do some good things defensively. That's nice to have. Pretty crafty with the ball, and he can score. Now, as I said, he's not a perfect fit. So why is he not a perfect fit? What are the concerns? What are the drawbacks to doing a trade on the floor for DeJounte Murray? Well, number one, he gets a lot of his production with his pull-up game, right? His pull-up jumper, he's in like the 86th percentile when it comes to that long two. But do you want to build your team with a major piece being a guard who thrives taking long twos. Now, ultimately, if it's an efficient sh shot, it's an efficient shot, right? That's what like the advanced analytics, all the threes and layups and free throws stuff, like only do those things. That's all about scoring efficiency. If you shoot well enough on long twos and it's an efficient shot, then there you have it, right? There's no problem. In fact, defenses are now uh, trained to give up that shot instead of giving up layups, free throws, or threes, they'd rather give up the long two. If you're really good at hitting that long two and you are you hit it at an extremely efficient rate, 
then there's no problem with that. But conceptually, do you want to build around a guard who maybe isn't the best three-point shooter? And that's really another concern. He's shooting 38% from three this season. But we know what's going to happen. We know that Lakers tax is going to kick in, isn't it? Seems to all the time. Every shooter comes to LA, right? It's I think somebody sent this to me, like four of the top 10 three-point percentage shooters right now this season are former Lakers. As soon as they leave LA, they can shoot like Alex Caruso, Beasley. These guys are all shooting. But they put that Lakers jersey on and it just plummets, right? I mean, we've seen it. Reggie Bullock, Mike Muscala, Malik Beasley could only hit shots in garbage time. Game's long over. Um, it just keeps happening. So because DeJounte Murray is shooting 38% from three this season, but the past three seasons, he's been below 35%. You know what would happen. He would instantly go back to being like, he'd probably go down to being like a 30% three-point shooter instead of a 38% three-point shooter. So I don't know that you can count on his ability to shoot the three. So then again, do you want to build around a guy who is great taking the long twos, but I don't know how much I trust that he's really now a 38% three-point shooter, especially once he puts on that Lakers jersey. There's that. Um, he's also not a good finisher at the rim. And you can say, well, you've got Anthony Davis, you've got LeBron James, but he's in like the 29th percentile finishing at the rim. He's just not very efficient um, doing that. So he, again, he's very reliant on that jumper. He's not going to get going to be an efficient scorer at the rim. I, I don't trust that he's going to be able to shoot the three. Uh, it sounds like I am very down on him. I'm not. He's a very, very talented player. He finds other ways to score and can do a lot of things. But that's why he's not a perfect fit for this Lakers team. If he could do those other things, well, but let's face it, then he's probably not on the market if he could do those other things. So I like DeJounte Murray as a target. I think the downside with him is equal to or less than the downside with Zach Levine. Like Zach Levine doesn't play defense, not to the level the Lakers need. The Bulls have been better without him. And I think that with the contract factored in, I'm going to lean towards DeJounte Murray. But the Hawks are going to want a lot for DeJounte Murray. With Zach Levine, the Lakers already, the rumor is they already have the opinion that they'd be helping the Bulls by taking Zach Levine off the Bulls roster. And the Bulls can't be thrilled about him coming. I mean, they need him to get on the floor and show that he's healthy. But other than that, the Bulls have been playing really good basketball. In fact, they just beat the Hawks. Last night, the Bulls got the win with Andre Drummond, by the way, blowing up. He had, like I think it was 25 points and 24 rebounds. Whew. And I was hoping the Lakers could maybe get him as a backup center. Um, he went nuts as a starter for the Bulls last night with uh, Busevich out. But, but the Bulls just beat the Hawks without Zach Levine. They've been better, like significantly better without him. So in terms of which team is the more motivated seller, it's certainly going to be the Bulls. And if you're the Lakers and you view Zach Levine as a negative value contract, thus you're going to be do doing the Bulls a favor by taking him off, your, off their hands. Maybe it's an easier negotiation if you do decide to do something for Zach Levine. And I know people will say DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso, all these other guys, they should target Daniel Gafford, right? List goes on and on. Uh, Nick Richards, whoever. But who we're going to see uh, tomorrow when the Lakers play the Hornets. I think what we should take this as, this DeJounte Murray rumor, 
I think it's good that the Lakers are exploring other options out there, that they're looking at other guys. I like him as a target. I'd be excited if the Lakers got him, depending on what the price tag is in order to land him. He's not the perfect fit. Zach Levine, also not the perfect fit. I think there's greater downside to a Zach Levine deal because of how much he costs per year. Uh, and because I've got some greater fit concerns, yes, he can score the basketball, but is he going to do other things well enough? Um, but big picture, it's just beginning, right? The trade deadline is not till February 8th. So put another one on the list. Caruso, DeRozan, Levine, DeJounte Murray. There's going to be others added to this list as we get closer to the trade deadline. All right. So add this guy, another player to keep an eye on as we get closer to the trade deadline. But good to hear. The Lakers are at least interested in him. If he is available and on the market, he's definitely worth taking a look at. Not a perfect fit, but could be a nice piece moving forward for the Lakers. All right. Let's get to this news. Now, I haven't talked about this. Um, this has been out for a couple of days, but I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. Uh, Gabe Vincent, out six to eight weeks. Yikes. Um, feels like a lost season, doesn't it? I know a lot of people are already saying Kendrick Nunn. <laughs> Never sign a Miami Heat guard again, Lakers, right? Uh, because here we go again. Gabe Vincent played the first four games of the season, came back for one game. His knee swelled up again. That was after missing uh, two months. His knee swells up again, and that's it. Now he's going to have surgery, and he's going to be out six to eight weeks. Best case, we're talking like he gets Wolverine's healing factor. Best case, he's back right before the trade deadline, and that's problematic for the Lakers, not just because you're losing Gabe Vincent on the floor, but also because now it's much more difficult to put his contract than a trade, right? If he had been playing well, um, the Lakers, that $10.5 million that he's making this season, that's a very easy number to throw into a trade and, and make some, some money work. Now, though, he's got three years under contract total, so he's two more years under contract. Teams aren't going to be super eager to add him if he's out due to injury right now. So it doesn't completely take him out of the mix on the trade market, but I think it creates a great difficulty in terms of trying to actually trade Gabe Vincent. So, um, and that's on top of, so it takes away flexibility of the trade deadline, but that's on top of you lost him on the floor. He's the guy, right? Aside from their own guys, Jared Vanderbilt, D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, Rui, they could spend on one player, one player. The Lakers had their mid-level exception that they could use one time and they spent it on Gabe Vincent and they've gotten nothing for it. Nothing. It's, it's like they, they lit that money on fire. It's gone. He shot 7% from three in four games. He came back for one game and went right back out. Now, that doesn't mean that it might not, it's not going to work out. Maybe he comes back. I don't know. Let's say he comes back right after the All-Star break, uh, mid-February. All-Star break, he comes back. It's Maybe he gives you that boost heading into the playoffs. Hopefully, his surgery goes great, gives you the boost heading into what's going to be a very difficult stretch of your schedule, like insane, oh my gosh, schedule makers, what did the Lakers do to you? Because this is absurd when you look at the Lakers' schedule down the stretch, but maybe that's the way this works out, and that would be fantastic. But up to this point, you've gotten nothing from this contract. From their, their one big free agent signing, nothing from it. That's tough. That's really tough when 
you could have used that money a lot of other ways that would be much more productive. Now, also say this though, a lot of fans flip that frustration and direct that at Gabe Vincent. It's not his fault. Injuries happen in sports. It sucks. It's a thing, right? Um, it's the way it goes. DJ Mora got hurt this past weekend and robbed me of a victory in a fantasy league that I've been dying to win for years. And I've been coming in second and third year after year after year after year. And it's not DJ Moore's fault that he got his ankle rolled, rolled up on. That he didn't try to get hurt. Your frustration can't be with the player. It's part of sports. It sucks that it happens, but it happens. Now, if the player does something stupid, it's a different story. But, but Gabe Vincent, he, he got hurt. It's, it's another Miami Heat guard, another mysterious knee situation. There, obviously, there's there's more context to this than just, hey, the player got hurt. But ultimately, if Gabe Vincent could play, he'd be out on the floor. So don't direct your frustration towards the player. I've got a lot of people saying, oh, you know, Gabe Vincent is just st stealing money from the Lakers and all that. It's not his fault. It's not his fault. But the situation sucks. There's no getting around it. It's a bad situation. And now you're missing the guy that was supposed to be a big part of your backcourt, which, by the way, I'm going to talk about the rotation in just a minute. But you're missing a guy that was supposed to be a big part of your backcourt. He's just gone. And on top of that, you've exiled all your guards to the bench now anyway. So, no Gabe Vincent for six to eight weeks. I think that may impact what the Lakers are or are not able to do at the trade deadline if they were considering using his contract in a deal it's at least going to be a hindrance to some degree but the lakers also have some rotation issues that we need to talk about and i'll say this you know darvin ham he's under fire for a lot of things and i think we're starting to see some grumbling from some of the players who are getting frustrated that their roles are changing, that they can't figure out exactly what their role is. And it's not, it's not super transparent, right? What it is that they're saying. They're not just outright saying, Hey, I'm mad at Darvin ham, but it feels like not everybody's a happy camper right now. And there are a lot of things to criticize Darvin ham for. You can be upset with him for putting his hands in his pockets too much, which some people are. I don't know. They don't want him to do the Ricky Bobby thing or whatever. You know, I don't know what to do with my hands, but he puts his hands in his pockets. People get upset with that. Um, people get upset with him. I do too, for his timeout usage or lack thereof. People get upset with him for his offense. People get upset with him for his decisions in terms of who's on the floor. I think this starting lineup change, if you're going to be upset with Darvin for anything, this is it. This is the worst of all the things to be upset with him for. Okay, maybe second to starting a small lineup in game one of the Western Conference Finals against a big Denver Nuggets team. Okay, maybe second to that. But this is bad. My opinion, this is bad. And let me preface all this by saying, I hope I'm wrong. I very, very much hope that in a few weeks, in a month, the Lakers are soaring. They're kicking butt. They're winning games. And this abnormal 
starting five with no guards, with no shooting really, with a bunch of defensive wings and LeBron and AD is somehow this defensive juggernaut that is turning everybody over and they're getting out on the break in transition and they're scoring and nobody can believe what they're doing and they are the talk of the league. I hope that's the world we're living in a month from now and I will gladly, I'll be thrilled to say, Darvin, I was wrong. You were right and I was wrong. I would love to do that. But my gut when I saw this starting five was, oh no, what have they done? I didn't want to come out too strong against it until we saw it on the floor, but this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. You get a big enough sample size, and this starting five is going to have two distinct character traits. Number one, I think they're going to be okay defensively. I think they're going to be all right defensively. I think the starting five will be okay defensively for, for this group. They should be great defensively when you look at this team. Reddish, Vando. Okay, these are these are guys who are, are quality defenders, right? LeBron, AD, they can defend. Torian Prince, yeah, he's okay as a defender, right? But but in general, in general, you look at that lineup and say, okay, they should be good defensively. I think the flip side is they're going to be really bad offensively. They're going to be really bad. Torian Prince can shoot. And he has been shooting the hell out of the ball in December. Had that really bad slump in November. Since then, he's been great shooting the basketball. So you give him give him credit. He's a shooter. But Jared Vanderbilt, Cam Reddish, nobody cares about them behind the three-point line. Nobody cares about them. Nobody's going to pay any attention to them at all behind the three-point line. So your floor spacing is going to be awful. And this has been a bad offensive team. That's been what's holding the Lakers back right now. It's their offense. And this team's going to have no floor spacing. In fact, the Lakers, according to Cleaning the Glass, that group, Cam Reddish, Torian Prince, LeBron James, Jared Vanderbilt, Anthony Davis, has played 40 possessions together so far. 40 possessions. They are a minus 17 per 100 possessions, if you were to extrapolate that out. They are fourth in the fourth percentile in points per 100 possessions. That's how they stack up compared to the rest of the league offensively right now. Now, again, small sample size. They're still learning each other. You would think, though, defensively, they'd be good. Uh-uh. 13th percentile. 13th percentile defensively. Now, defense, it's a little trickier. Everybody, the communication, the chemistry has got to be there. On offense, one guy can go, you can have a bad offense and have one player that's just insanely talented and that guy can produce efficiently and your offense can be mistakenly made to look okay or the numbers can be okay. Defense though, it's kind of the opposite. You can have a bunch of really good defensive players, but if they're not quite connected, they're not all on a string just because they're not familiar with each other, then you can actually be bad defensively, even though you have guys who individually are good defensive players and it just takes time to build that. So I don't think 13th percentile defensively is where they will ultimately be. If they, God forbid, if they do this for 20 games, I think their defense is going to be just fine with this group. Offensively, it's not going to be fine. It's not. And when I look at today's NBA, of all the things to just punt on, which by the way, their rebounding has been good. 
But of all the things to punt on, today's NBA, you're going to punt on shooting? That's that's what you're going to say, no, we're not even going to try to put shooters on the floor? We're not even going to attempt that? That's That's really what you're going to punt on, shooting the ball. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Go, go on League Pass, right? Not even there's. I know there's people who are analytics people, and there's people who are eye test people. I test people. Go on League Pass, flip around to the games, watch some of the top teams. Watch how often they start hitting threes, how easily they're generating threes, how teams' defenses are spread out trying to cover players who can shoot these threes. It's impossible to not watch that and be like. Man, that looks nice, right? To see that and not think that looks that looks really good because it's something we're not familiar with because it's something that we don't see right now with this Lakers team. It stands out. I just I just watched last night Clippers and Hornets. I was scouting the Hornets a little bit, and how many times the Clippers have different guys running off of screens for three point shots and hitting them, and I see that and I'm like. Man, the Lakers don't have a bunch of guys who can do that. They don't have many. And, well, the knee-jerk reaction might be, well, that's it, right? We're so bad shooting that we're not even going to try. I mean, why? Just go all in. We're good at defense. Let's go all in on defense, and that's going to carry us. I don't think shooting is the thing you can punt on. Maybe you can get away 
with punting on having a true center in today's NBA. Maybe you can get away with that, right? Maybe you can get away with that. There's certain things you can probably get away with. Maybe you can get away with being a high turnover team. That you can be good in other areas and get away with that. But shooting, it's so fundamental to everything that you're going to do. Because number one, you can have a great offense. And you can generate open looks. But if you can't knock down those sh- those looks, then your great offense doesn't matter. And if you can't lock down those, those looks, guess what's going to happen? Your opponent's going to just drop into the paint and they're going to dare you to shoot and beat them that way. And you're not going to be able to do it. But that's also going to impact your defense because what's going to happen, it's going to be a live ball, right? Rather than taking the ball out of the net and your defense gets back, opponents are getting live rebounds, sometimes on long bounces. That puts your defense a step or two behind trying to get back and trying to set up. And your guys who should be good defensive players are now struggling a little bit more than they should if they're in the half court because your offense is generating good shots and knocking those shots down. So you're actually hurting your defense by having a bad offense as well. And the the opposite is also true. If you have a really bad defense, you're taking the ball out of the net. You're not giving yourself transition opportunities. But the bottom line is punting on shooting, which is what this is, while this lineup has merit defensively, has merit on the boards, to say we're not even going to try to have a regular guard out there, to have a three-point shooter out there. Aside from Torian Prince, I don't think this is going to go well. And again, so far it's not. So far it has not gone well. There are times in sports, there's times in the NBA, where zigging when everybody else is zagging is a brilliant thing. You look at the Suns with the seven seconds or less thing. Change the way we play basketball. And there were a lot of people who rolled their eyes, said, oh, this isn't going to work. Amari Stoudemire is not a center. Sean Marion's not a power forward. They're just going to try to play fast. Okay, teams are going to crush them in the paint. Turns out they were onto something. I hope that's that's the direction this goes. But there's a reason why teams prioritize shooting in today's NBA. There's a reason why teams want multiple ball handlers and guys who can attack. And I think that Darwin's recent comment about, well, Vando can't freeze when he gets the ball. He's got to attack off the bounce. you got to attack off the dribble, make a play. Cam Reddish has got to do that too, right? And I'm paraphrasing here, but Darvin made a comment about that, that he needs Cam Reddish and, and Jared Vanderbilt to be able to attack off the off the dribble and make plays and things. It should be a red flag when what you're asking, what's going to fix things on your offensive end are things that those players don't do or historically have not done. That's a red flag. Why is that happening? Why is that a necessity that Cam Reddish creates on offense? Because you don't have another creator out there. You've got LeBron. And so what happens is guys who it's not in their wheelhouse to do these things wind up having to provide a skill set that they don't have. It's the same thing as when the Lakers started off the season and they're asking Torian Prince to be their main point of attack defensive stopper. Is that really what he is? No, but Cam Reddish got hurt. He had the groin injury and Jared Vanderbilt was out. So he didn't have a choice, but this isn't because of injury. The Lakers are healthy and they're asking guys to do things that are outside of their wheelhouse, that are outside of their comfort zone, outside of what they are as players. Sometimes that can yield the growth. Sometimes you can stumble upon great things. Hey, Brooke Lopez, go shoot some threes. I know you don't do it normally, but now you're going to do it. 
Next thing you know, he's, he's the best three-point shooting big in the league. Sometimes you stumble upon things. But to me, this unconventional of a lineup, hey, I'm going to D'Lo slumping, so I'm going to bench him and not put in another guard. We're just not going to play with a guard at all. And we're still not going to have shooting on the floor. And I'm going to have to ask wings who don't normally create to do things like that. How many red flags do you need? I think what's going to ultimately happen is this experiment will fall by the wayside. I think first you're going to see the minutes chopped down for it. You're going to see him go to Austin Reeves off the bench faster, getting in a regular guard faster. And that's how this is going to play out. And then this will fade away and it'll go back to a traditional starting lineup. But the problem is this, right? Beyond everything else that I already mentioned, the problem is you've got players who clearly are craving stability. They want to know what their role is. They want to know what their job is. They want to know what their minutes are going to look like, where their shots are coming from, what the team needs them to do. All this is going to do, unless, once again, Darvin Ham has discovered the next iteration of NBA basketball, unless he's figured it out with this starting five and this works. And again, I will gladly say I was wrong. And look at what Darvin has found, and I will sing his praises. But unless that's what's happened, this is going to fail. The Lakers are going to drop some games that they shouldn't. And 10 games from now, 20 games, whatever it is, there's going to be another adjustment. Another situation, right? The Lakers have suffered a ton of injuries this season, and that's prevented them from having continuity over the course of the year. Now they've got health, but you're not going to give them that continuity, that consistency that they crave because you're putting together an experimental starting five that goes against the way the game of basketball is played right now. That most likely, this is a high-risk maneuver here, most likely this is not going to work out because that's what happens with high-risk high moves. It's not going to work out. And when that does, it's, hey, everybody, we're going to shift things up again. Not a good look. It's not a good look, especially for a team that came into the season trumpeting their continuity, their chemistry. Guess what? For the first time in years, the Lakers don't have a whole new team to start the season. They don't have 13 new faces on the roster. No, they've got guys who played last year, who won together last year, and should have some chemistry. Now, they've been robbed of those guys for much of the season. Jared Vanderbilt's been out. Cam Reddish has been in. Well, he wouldn't have. He was, wasn't on the team last year. But but Vando's been out. You've been missing uh, other players. Rui Hachimura has been dealing with head injuries and things of that nature. You've had guys in and out of the rotation. You haven't really been able to capitalize on the consistency that you've had. But now you can. Gabe Vincent's the only guy that's out. So why then should the response be, hey, that chemistry, that consistency that we had, we're just not going to use it. For example, I know D'Lo's been slumping. And it makes sense to, to move him to the bench to a degree. But shouldn't we see at some point Jared Vanderbilt, D'Angelo Russell, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Austin Reeves? 
No, I mean, that was the Lakers' starting lineup for their big postseason push. That was their starting lineup for most of the playoffs. And they had a lot of success with it. And it worked. Uh, there's familiarity there. Isn't that something we should see? In total, those five guys, D'Lo, Reeves, LeBron, Vando, AD, they've played three possessions together this season. Three. And again, Vanderbilt's been hurt. But still. And even if you say, look, D'Lo's not it. I, I need to bench him. Okay. Fine. Throw in Torian into the mix there. Right? Austin as your point guard. Torian Prince. LeBron James. Vanderbilt. Anthony Davis. Rui, if you really want to lean into guys who have played last year. Throw him in. And I think you can make an argument. Torian or, or Rui. Right? If it's, we must bench D'Angelo Russell. I've gone on about this long enough, but this rotation, yeah, it's it's a problem. It's a problem. It's something that if you're going to be critical of Darvin Ham, I think this is the thing. I think this is the thing. And hearing the tone from players, I hope this doesn't lead to things getting worse from here. I hope it doesn't lead to that. Again, it's very possible that he just limits the minutes, and this is just we're going to set a defensive tone. This is, this lineup's going to play like three minutes, and then we're going to go to a real lineup, and off we go, which still doesn't make a ton of sense, but I'm not prophesying the, the downfall of the Lakers here or anything like that. But this starting lineup, there's a lot of reason to say it's bizarre, it's strange, it doesn't make sense. And if it works out, great. But I don't see it. I don't see it. But Lakers Nation, let me know what you think in the comment section. Let me know. Am I? Do you think I'm wrong? Or do you think Darvin Ham is getting a little too crazy here with this starting five? All right, let me get into the mailbag. Close out the show. AW. Said it's insane how the Celtics keep getting these trades to fall their way. Like, what do we have to do to get that luck? Uh, Porzingis, yeah, by the way, Porzingis didn't play the previous game. Um, came back to play the Lakers, and then he was great. Uh, the Derek White trade worked out great for the Celtics, obviously. Uh, the, I thought they got great value for Marcus Smart. Yeah, I mean, but again, I, I thought the Rui Hachimura trade was in the Lakers' favor. And, and that's worked out. I think they've had some good moves. I mean, look, over the summer, the Lakers were widely considered the team that made some of the best moves or one of the teams that made some of the best moves. Some things haven't quite clicked, and I think some of that is due to injury and some of that you can put in, you know, blame, plenty of blame to go around. But yes, it is. When you watch the Celtics and you think about the deals they made and the deals they got, when you watch the Clippers and you think about them getting Daniel Tice for free, Norman Powell for free, because teams just hand them over. Yeah, you you can't help but think like, man, would be nice if the Lakers could get deals like that. Uh, Jarrah Young said, going by what you've seen, who do you believe the Lakers will put on the trade trade block once a trade is finalized? What's the starting five? Well, I don't know what the trade's going to be. Uh, that's what we need to find out is, is who's being traded. But um, I think the Lakers will consider, well, they're going to do everything. They, first of all, LeBron and AD are not on the trade block. Austin, I think, is going to be off the trade block except in the case of, you know, it's a super-duper star. 
Other than that, I think they would consider trading anybody. I think anybody could be traded for this Lakers team. I think that's going to be the case. Um, unusual game for LeBron, talking about that game against the Celtics. He doesn't look the same since he collided with Jalen Brown. What was the exact game plan for this matchup? Well, again, they, Darwin was a little critical of Cam Reddish and Vando for not attacking, which isn't really their thing necessarily, creating off the bounce, off the dribble. But it wasn't a good LeBron game. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. I had some you know, LeBron people who were, were like, well, but what about this and what about that? And like, Look, LeBron's great. LeBron's been great this season. I've been blown away by what he's done this season. But if he has a game that's not up to his standards, we can still say he had a game that's not up to his standards. Uh, and I got a lot of people saying, well, they shouldn't have to count on this, you know, LeBron to do this, this, and this. True, but he's been doing this stuff over the course of the season. We've seen him play at a certain level, even when he's not fully pushing down on the gas pedal. And he had a, a poor game by his standards. And you would think Christmas Day would be a day that he would push down on that gas pedal a little bit more. And we didn't quite see that. He was great against the Thunder. What do you do? He dropped 40, right? The previous game. So it's not like I'm saying LeBron is bad. LeBron had a poor game. Everybody, it happens. I'm not worried about him at all. He just, he had a poor game. Um, maybe it was the collision with Jalen Brown. Maybe that did bug him. But um, as far as the game plan for the matchup, I, I think it kind of got blown up from the get-go. I mean, the Celtics were hitting shots immediately to start the, the first quarter. And the Lakers were either not generating looks or couldn't hit shots they were generating. And then Boston was making the hustle plays. And I think the Lakers game plan kind of fell to pieces right then and there. Uh, they did battle back, but the Celtics just made plays and the Lakers didn't. And again, a lot of that was like, I watched the Clippers and I think, man, it'd be nice to have more guys who could shoot the way the Clippers do. I watched the Celtics and I think, man, the Lakers have so many guys that are defensive players or offensive players. And the Celtics have a lot of guys who are both. Who you know, Derek White can defend and shoot the ball. Uh, Porzingis can protect the rim and shoot the ball, can give you stuff on the, on the offensive end. Tatum, Jalen Brown, both two-way players. Um, that's that's just that's what they've got on this roster. They've got a lot of two-way players, and, uh, and that's something the Lakers just don't have right now. Uh, I mean, of course, Drew Holiday can do both those things, right? Great defensive player. Also can give you some shooting. Also can create a little bit on offense. And so they have a very balanced attack. The Lakers, you've got Vando can play defense, can't play offense. Cam Reddish can play defense, can't play offense. Um, you have D'Lo can play offense, can't play defense. Sometimes not even, not, not great offensively. He can be hot or cold. Austin, offense, not great to face. Tries, but not great defensively, right? Um, that's what the Lakers have. And I think you can get away with having a few of those guys and you're fine. But I think the bulk of your team needs to be built around guys who can do both things. That's why we said last summer, Jared Vanderbilt, so much of his success this season was dependent on his ability to hit the corner three because it was going to be wide open. Cam Reddish, same thing. If either one of these guys could hit 35 plus percent consistently on corner threes and just do that, that would be a, a big help for this Lakers team. So that's 
that, that's a big deficiency, I think, that the Lakers have. They don't have enough two-way players. They have a lot of one-way players. And that's something that stood out. Uh, John said, why DNP Christian Wood at the beginning of the season? He and AD were a killer combination. A lineup with AD and Wood needs to be tried again. I agree. I agree. I'm surprised that Christian Wood has been out of the rotation, especially in favor of Jackson Hayes. He's got to be frustrated. I don't buy that Christian Wood is simply a 28% three-point shooter right now. So if it's his shooting slump that got him on the bench, he's got to be able to shoot his way out of it. He's a 37, 38% career three-point shooter. I think with enough shots, he's going to come back to that. Now, there are some reasons for Jackson Hayes, some things Jackson Hayes can do that Christian Wood can't. But yeah, to start off the season, the Lakers, the only Lakers lineup that worked was LeBron, AD, Christian Wood. Those three had to be together. And the Lakers have gotten away from that. And that's not all a Darvin Ham thing. Christian Wood hasn't played great. But I'm fairly confident that Jackson Hayes is not it. He's not going to be the guy the Lakers are hoping he can be. That's why we're all so in on the Lakers finding a center on the trade market. I am not completely out on Christian Wood. Again, I think the math says the shooting numbers will come around. And if that happens, that opens up a lot for him. So... I'm surprised too. I'd like to see him back in the mix, at least give it another shot before the before the trade market really picks up. If it really, if it if you get give it another shot and it's still just not working, okay, it's not working, it's not working. But before you're going to go make a trade, I want to be 100 percent certain in what I've got or not have in, in Christian Wood. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for today's show. Do appreciate you joining me. Make sure you do subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Lakers Nation. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.